You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. I want you to go ahead and tell someone beside you or around you the title, or rather ask them the title of my sermon this morning, Should My Family Celebrate Halloween? Should my family celebrate Halloween? Well, just so before we get into that, uh, please come back next week. We're starting a new series uh, called A Faith for All Seasons. Uh, we're going to be going through the different life stages of, of our lives from childhood all the way up to uh, you know, old age and how our faith is meant to, to change and develop and, and be cultivated in every step of the way. So join us next week as we start that season. Now, This morning, we'll be attempting to answer the age-old question, should Christians celebrate Halloween? Or to be more personal, should my family celebrate Halloween? You know, some personal experience here. Growing up, my parents really wasn't that adamant about whether or not we should celebrate Halloween or not. Maybe it's because we're sort of immigrants to Canada at the time, so we didn't really understand, like, why is everyone dressing up? Why is everyone knocking on our houses, right? So it's, it was kind of a strange thing. I remember, if anything, my mom was more against Pokemon cards than Halloween, and maybe you can relate to that as well. I think there was only maybe one time that me and my brother, we dressed up for Halloween. It was, a, you know, I dressed up as Ryu from Street Fighter, right? Uh, and then, of course, my brother dressed up as Ken, the sort of the, the, the low-budget Ryu. Um, and then, of course, I think there was only one instance that we actually distributed candy to our neighborhoods. And, and actually, I, a true story, funny enough, during, I guess, the Halloween season at church, of course, we were taught that this was the time that witches come out and, and demons and, and whatnot. Uh, this is when they came out to play Halloween, the Halloween season. So true story, instead of trick-or-treating, when I was a teenager, I would actually go out on uh, October 31st and go patrolling, you know, with a baseball bat just in case there were some witches or monsters or demons or something and I'm going to protect my neighborhood, you know. Uh, true story. But all of that to say, that's my experience with Halloween, and it wasn't so much of an issue until now that I'm a parent and we have kids, and you know, there's all their TV shows are are showing these depictions of ghosts and celebrating Halloween. And so, me and my wife, Faye, we're we're sort of having that discussion. Okay, well, what is our values? What is our what is our stance when it comes to these things? And so, therefore, the question arises: Should my family celebrate? Halloween. Is it okay for Christians to participate in the celebrations of Halloween? Can my family, again, celebrate Halloween? So just by a quick show of hands, we're going to do a little survey here, all right? Uh, and there's no judgment. Whatever you put your hand up, that's okay, right? We're not, we're not, gonna, we're not condemning you, right? Elder Joel's like looking around, you know, he's taking notes. This is when, <laughs> this is when the eldership uh, take notes. But who thinks, who thinks, that it's okay to celebrate Halloween. Raise your hand if you think, yes. Oh, interesting. All these holy people in here. <laughs> Whew. There's some, some of the, the production team in the back put their hands up. Uh, I'm just going to pray for them, maybe. I don't know. Uh, now, let me see this. Who thinks that, no, you shouldn't participate in Halloween celebrations? Put your hand up. All the parents put their hand up so quick. <laughs> 
right? But what's happened? This, I'm pretty sure there's more than five or six people in our church, and then only, only six people put their hands up. Interesting, interesting. Well, if you're undecided or simply don't want to put your hand up out of fear of judgment, and or maybe you're just, you're, you're just here saying, like, Pastor Ian, just tell us, should we, can we celebrate Halloween or not? Yes or no? And the answer to that is not a simple yes or no. In my research and my study on this topic, it's interesting to find that even some of these great pastors that we look up to are very much split on this, on this uh, topic. You know, Pastor John MacArthur, someone I, I look up to a lot, right? He said, flat out said, no, are you crazy? Like, why even bring it up right, to his congregation? In mean, meanwhile, other pastors um, like Pastor John Piper and such, they, they say a conditional yes uh, on this topic as well. So there's, not, there's, only, there's some pastors that's had, that has an absolute, absolute no on this topic, some a conditional yes. And I don't want you to take my opinion or my conviction on the matter. And it's, it's definitely uh, more important that we get God's word, his, God's opinion on this matter. Not only that, but, that, but I don't want to give you a simple yes or no to this topic but I want, what I want to do this morning is rather equip you with the tools, a process, a guideline on how to answer this question. And not just this question, but other gray sort of topics that we might come across in the Christian life, and when, especially when it comes to participating in things of the world. For example, is it okay to let my kids watch Harry Potter? Is it okay? I'm asking a question, guys. Is it okay? Some people are, you know, smiling, maybe, right? I think all the younger, the, the, the newer generation doesn't want to look at their parents right now. That's fine, right? Or how about this? Is it okay to drink alcohol? Or is it okay to, to eat halal meat? Or is it okay for believers to date unbelievers? Or is it okay to allow my kids to participate in certain clubs at school? Or, or we were discussing this in life groups the other week. Is it okay to have Amazon Prime knowing that they support abortion? Lots of great topics, lots of great questions that Christians, of course, have to navigate in this life. And again, what I want to do for us this morning is to equip ourselves Equip ourselves with tools, with a process, a guideline that, that, that we can gather from God's Word to navigate these topics, navigate these questions in our day-to-day -day life. This morning we'll be unpacking a biblical process in which we can answer these sort of great topics, answer these, these, these uh, questions. And that process that we see in Scripture, specifically in our passage, is three things that Christians can do when it comes to these topics. We can either, and I'll give this up front, receive, reject, or redeem. Receive, reject, or redeem. Redeem. And, now we, and again, that's what we see in our passage. Let's jump in. Everyone say, jump for me. Some context to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul, from all the way back to 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 10, Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 is talking about food offered to idols. He's arguing about uh, mature Christians participating in or partaking in food offered to idols out of their Christian liberty. Now, of course, Paul also talks about in, in, in that passage that uh, idols are nothing. That's his reasoning why old, sort of more mature Christians can participate in that practice. But he also says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 9, uh, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block 
to the weak. He talks about the weaker Christian, meaning the less mature Christian, the, the, the newly converted believer. Paul continues this thought now, having talked about food offered to idols, he continues this thought in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says at the very top of our passage today, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In other words, all things are permissible, permissibility in the liberty that we have, the freedom that we have in Christ, but not all things are beneficial, not all things edify or build up. And again, his context to this is specifically our neighbor. He says in verse 24 of our passage, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So when he's talking about not all things are beneficial, he's talking about the benefit of our brother or sister, our neighbor in Christ. Now, we hear a similar statement like this from Paul all the way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That's a very basic principle that Paul carries throughout his ministry. Now, both, the, both those statements mean the same thing. In our Christian liberty, all things short of sin are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are edifying or worth anything, really. In relation to food offered to idols in the context of our passage, Paul is saying it's, it's permissible to eat food that has been offered to idols, but not necessarily beneficial. Now, you might be sitting there, well, okay, Pastor Ian, what are you talking about? How does this have to do with anything with Halloween, right? Well, the early church was asking a very similar question to our question this morning. Is it okay to eat food offered to idols. And there's parallels to that. Food offered to idols was a form of paganism. Halloween has its roots in pagan and Celtic pagan background, in a Celtic pagan religion. The Bible's answer to Halloween and other like practices and maybe other questions as well, all things are permissible, our liberty in Christ, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things will edify or build up. Now the question that we need to ask this morning how do we then navigate what is beneficial to us or not beneficial? What, what, we can, what we can and cannot do in our Christian liberty? Well, Paul tells us again in verse 25 of our passage, he goes into this, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So here's the first principle, right, to navigate these questions. First and foremost, we can receive on the grounds of conscience. Receive on the grounds of conscience. A word in the original Greek for conscience is sunadesis, literal, literally meaning to join two knowings of, a union between inherent morals and morals that are cultivated spiritually. Our conscience is what helps us self-govern and determine what is right and wrong. We'll come back to this definition in a moment here. Paul is saying if our, our, if our conscience is clear, then go ahead. Receive, right? Receive from, receive from the world, whether it's eating food offered to idols, whether it's going trick-or-treating, watch Harry Potter, drink responsibly, whatever it is, receive. If, you are, if your conscience is clear, receive. Now, with that said, the Bible also tells us that we can't simply go off our conscience. Again, going back to the definition of conscience, it's a union between inherent morals and morals that are cultivated. The Bible says that God, in creating humanity, 
wrote his laws in our hearts. When talking about unbelieving uh, Gentiles who live by the law given by God, even though they have never read the Bible or have heard of the Ten Commandments, he says in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or, accuse or even excuse them. See, all of us are born with God's laws written on our hearts. That's where we get our inherent sense of morality from. But it is not enough, and this is what the Bible says, it's very clear, it is not enough because the Bible says that our conscience can be seared. Seared, the word, the original Greek, that's, in, that's from 1 Timothy chapter 4, 4 verse 2. The original Greek word there for seared is katirazao, katirazo. It means, and then that's where we get the word cauterize from, or literally meaning branded with hot iron. Our minds, our conscience can be seared by our sinful nature, the fallen world, divergence from the truth of God, and, and believing the lies of the enemy. So that's why it's not our conscience, we cannot go on our conscience alone. The result of our minds being seared is that our view of morality can be skewed. We can become numb to sin. We can delight in, in things that we ought to be disgusted over. And as a result, our conscience may not react according to the laws of God as it should. It's why the Bible talks so much about taking our thoughts captive and having to renew our mind and having to not conform to the patterns, the thinking patterns of the world, but rather thinking godly thoughts, thinking what is pure, what is excellent, in order to heal and restore our mind, to heal our conscience back to the morality that the Spirit of God has cultivated in our hearts. So what does that mean about Halloween? Well, again, if your conscience is clear, meaning on the grounds of morality, you find nothing wrong with celebrating or participating in Halloween, then by all means, receive. But you should also be 100% certain that your conscience is in line with the mind of God. Not opposed to the will of God, not opposed to the revealed truth of God, and definitely not against the Holy Spirit. If your conscience is clear, then you may receive, not just Halloween, but anything else in the world, anything else that we might come across, then receive. Of course, practically speaking, this looks like praying, asking God His opinion to reveal to you maybe a hidden sin in your heart, maybe hidden biases, maybe to check your mind for any grievous thought, just to be sure that any decision that you're making in this life based on your conscience is not tarnished by a seared mind as a result of sin. And after all that, if everything is clear, if you've cleared it with God's word, if you ask godly wisdom and advice, if you, if, you've, if, you've, if you've followed the Holy Spirit and your conscience is clear, by all means, receive. Receive. But if searching, if seeking out an answer for whatever it is, whether Halloween or other topics, and you feel a, a pull, a tug of the Spirit, a conviction of the Spirit, 
thinking maybe something's not right here. Maybe something is wrong. Maybe my opinion, my thoughts, the way I'm thinking about this thing isn't right. Then you need to do the, th- the second thing that Paul talks about in our passage. You must reject on the grounds of conviction. Reject on the grounds of conviction. Look at verse 27 with me. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without saying or without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered to sacrifice, then do not eat for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So what's happening in this passage is that Paul's talking about a situation where you might be invited by an unbeliever to partake of some food. Of course, unknowingly, that food could be offered to idols. So he's saying, just, just don't ask about it, right? Just eat the food just to be hospitable, just, to, to, just to, to build this relationship with this unbeliever. But then, if someone asks you, or someone tells you that this food is, uh, is, is actually offered to idols, then refuse the food altogether. Now, something's changed here, right? Something's changed between what Paul says initially and what Paul says afterwards in, in, in rejecting the food. Well, what changed exactly? Again, this chapter, verse, or chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, is building on 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it's talking about, again, the weaker brother of the faith. Not exercising your, your Christian liberty to eat food offered to idols if it has the potential of causing a weaker brother or a newly converted brother to stumble in the faith. We read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. Look at that with me. It says, And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble... I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So now chapter 10 is building off on that, but you have to understand the conviction that Paul is laying out in chapter 8 is that it is a sin to make your brother or sister in Christ stumble. It is a sin to make your brother or sister in Christ stumble. Keep that in mind because in chapter 10, that's what Paul, that's what Paul is, is getting at in making this practical. An unbeliever invites you to eat with him, but if a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ tells you, don't eat that food because it's offered to idols, Paul says on the grounds of conviction, your conviction that, 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 that causing your brother to, in Christ to stumble is sin, as per chapter 8, on those grounds, you must reject the food. If you know that you're going to cause a brother or a sister in Christ to stumble as a result of your actions, as a result of your decision, then it's better to reject whatever it is that you're doing in in your Christian liberty. And that's the same thing for everything else, right? Again, it's not just Halloween or food offered to idols. If what you're contemplating on doing, practicing, participating in goes against your conviction, goes against what you know is sin according to God's word, goes against or directly opposes the word of God and the will of God as revealed in God's word, reject it. Reject it. Maybe putting this back in the context of Halloween. Listen, the Bible doesn't explicitly say no to Halloween, but it does say that believers should not associate themselves with the demonic or pagan practices. To do so is sin. 
It doesn't say that you can't go out trick-or-treating, but it does say that you should not entertain witches or sorcerers or mediums. To do so is a sin. The Bible doesn't say that you can't dress up as, as funny characters and whatnot, but it does say that you should not revel in wickedness and evil and darkness. That is a sin. And of course, again, as Paul talked about, to cause brothers and sisters to stumble, that is a sin as well. So a believer's conviction that's rooted in God's word should tell us no to some of these practices that people do in Halloween. And even more so, the spirit of Halloween. If the spirit of Christmas is love and peace and joy and gift-giving because we, re- we, we, we recollect the, the, the birth of Christ, the spirit of Halloween is fear and deception and demonic. But it's harmless fun, you say, right? Kids getting dressed up as monsters and ghouls, you're dressing them, you're dressing them up as demons, is what you're telling me, Right? No, but, you know, they're dressed up as a ghost. A ghost is a demon. But it's a friendly ghost, so it's a friendly demon, right? It's... Here, like, here's, here's a question, right? Like, would you ever name your child, you know, some of these guys are getting married and having kids and at that stage, now, would you ever name your child Judas? I hope not. No, no one's answering. I, the correct answer is no, all right? You'd never name your child Judas, Right? Or you'd never dress up your child as Hitler, right? That's just really bad. So why would you then dress them up as the very evil entities that influenced and corrupted those people? And of course, it's not just the kids. I'm talking to a group of adults here, right? Halloween is the time where we're... Grown women dress up promiscuously and say, oh, it's Halloween. It says dress up. Of course, guys, they're not any better. They dress up as serial killers for the sake of scaring people. So, you know, considering these things, should it be celebrated? Should it be entertained by the church? Well, again, that's for your convictions to decide. And if you're thinking, well, you know, I don't want my, my, my kids to be left out. Well, what kind of kids are you trying to raise? Because if you're trying to raise Christian kids, then they should get used to the fact that they will be rejected by the world. That they're not going to be accepted all the time. Because of our convictions, because of what we stand for, because of the cross of Christ that we live for as believers, they should get used to the fact that the world will hate them. That the world will shun them. And that's okay. Because that's what we're called to do and be. And again, this isn't just for Halloween and, and this is anything for, from the world that is explicitly sinful or outright antichrist or contradictory to, the, to biblical truth. If our convictions, if what we have learned from God and has been cultivated in our hearts truly line up with Scripture, then we must reject these things of the world. But now here's where the tension lies. Convictions are personal. Convictions grow from what the Spirit, as I mentioned, has been cultivating in us, where we are in our journey with God, what we have studied and learned from Scripture. My conviction is not going to be the same as your conviction because we're in different seasons of life. We're in different seasons in, in our walk, in our growth in Christ. Now, the difference between conviction and conscience is that our conscience is general. 
right? Everyone has, again, the law of God written in our hearts. We have a general sense of, of a morality. Conviction is personal and cultivated. Convictions can also shape your conscience. Similar to how our personal corruption can sear our conscience, our personal convictions can shape our conscience. And, and note, again, it's our convictions, our personal convictions, not someone else's that should shape your conscience. In fact, Paul talks about this in our passage. Look at verse 29 with me. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Paul's sort of taking, sort of flipping the table here a little. He's, this is saying, he's talking about it from the other side. He's saying, if my conviction, what God has cultivated in me from his word, deems it okay for me to partake of food offered to idols or participate with unbelievers in their practices, then it's okay. Part of the Christian, that's, that's part of what we have in the Christian liberty, the, the, the freedom that we have in Christ to enjoy things of this world, to the degree, again, that it doesn't cause me to sin, or it doesn't cause others to sin or stumble. But the moment that it does, we are to reject whatever that is. We are to, to, to not participate in whatever that is. In that parallel passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, when, when Paul says a similar line there, he, he talks about being enslaved or dominated by whatever it is that we, we participate in. Right? He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. It starts off fine, similar uh, thing as the other passages, but Paul adds this idea of being dominated by something. He says that everything is permissible, but at the same time, I will not be dominated. I will not be enslaved by whatever it is that I'm participating in. And that is a good test, by the way, a good litmus test if whatever it is that you're participating in, whatever it is that you're practicing in is is for the glory of God, is beneficial to you, is, is actually uplifting to you. If, for example, your, 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 your desire to play video games or your, your pursuit for money or, or to watch even Netflix, right? All those things are permissible, right? But if you are dominated by it, if it becomes an idol to your life, if, it's, if it becomes something that you cannot live without, then you can tell, then that's a good sign that, that, is, that it's become sinful. That it's not from God. We must be careful that our liberty in the Savior doesn't become a license to sin. Again, on the grounds of conviction against sin, against, uh, or, or, or for, for the sake of upholding the truth, against adultery, all of that stuff, we must reject those things in the world. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, is there any grounds at all to celebrate Halloween then? To, or even to participate in worldly things? Is there any reason why, or, or any, any, any leeway, any wiggle room in which we can do those things? Well, if we are able to, here's the last thing, redeem it for the glory of Christ. Redeem it for the glory of Christ. In our passage, Paul says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's reasoning here for partaking, uh, partaking of the meal with these unbelievers, the, the food offered to idols, is to bring glory to God. 
as he tries to evangelize. He even goes on to say in verse 32 to the end of the chapter, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Again, that's talking about our conviction, right? To not cause anyone to stumble. In verse 33, he says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul's reasoning for his entire ordeal of why he's eating food offered to idols, why he's dining with unbelievers, is for the sake of evangelizing, for the sake of reaching them for the glory of Christ. He's redeeming the idea of the food offered to idols. He's he's bringing glory to God by participating, by by partaking of this thing. In the same way, whether it's Halloween or the, just, I think it was this past week, right? The, so, uh, people celebrated uh, Diwali as well. Or maybe it's participating in yoga or watching certain movies, all of this stuff. We need to really ask ourselves, is it redeemable? Is it redeemable? A good way, a good way to measure this, if it's okay, if it, is, uh, uh, if it is okay to participate in those practices is, if, it, if that, whatever it is, is redeemable, can it be used to reach people for Christ? Can it bring glory to God? And this is absolutely possible, right? The church celebrates Christmas and Easter, which were as well pagan holidays. They were redeemed by the church. So that instead of pointing to pagan deities, it now points to Christ. So it's certainly possible, it's certainly possible to redeem something of the world from the world. But please understand, practice of sin, any practice of sin, cannot be redeemed. Any practice of sin cannot be redeemed and must be refused or rejected. Listen, you're not going to find a Christian version of witchcraft, right? You're not going to find a Christian version of abortion clinics because those stuff cannot be redeemed. Those are flat out against the will and the word of God. Very much antichrist. Those cannot be redeemed. They must be refused and rejected. Now, when it comes to Halloween again, does Halloween have anything redeemable about it? And this is why... This is why the answer in the beginning of this sermon was yes or no, and why these other, some of these pastors that we look up to were, were a conditional yes. Are there some redeemable things about Halloween? Well, there is a sense of hospitality in Halloween, receiving people in your home, giving them some sort of uh, treat or snack. So there's hospitality. There's community involvement. You're being part of the neighborhood that you're, you have been planted in, you have built your home in, and that gives an opportunity for you to actually reach out and evangelize. But if I were to be honest, there's not much to redeem. Everything else is perpetuating evil and the demonic. Everything else is perpetuating fear. Unlike Christmas or Easter, which also had pagan roots and both, can, and both have been redeemed, there's not much in Halloween. But again, that falls onto your conviction. So, all of this to say, to summarize everything, we must receive, if we are looking to participate or practice anything from the world, we must receive it on the grounds of conscience, having searched scripture, 
having studied, making sure that our own conscience is not seared and has been in line and in step with the Holy Spirit and the mind of God. We must also, if it comes down to it, reject on the grounds of conviction. If we know something is going to cause us to sin or is sinful or would cause someone else to stumble in sin, then we must reject on the grounds of conviction. And finally, we need to ask ourselves, are these things redeemable? Are these things redeemable? And the invitation for us this morning is to really check our hearts and our minds. Because again, this process only really works if our minds line up with the mind of Christ. If our minds are not seared with, with the things of this world, with sin and, and, and the corruption and, and the lies of the enemy. We need to be like the psalmist in 139 who declares, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So brothers and sisters, the invitation for us this morning is to check your heart. Maybe there's things in your life that you're pursuing, you made a decision about. Maybe you never really talked to God about it. Maybe you never really searched God in that decision-making. and Maybe that decision wasn't really made with a sound mind or a mind in line with God's and, and, as, and as a result of your mind having been seared by sin or being numb to sin, you made a bad decision. Well, the invitation for us this morning is to find healing for our minds and find fresh conviction towards sin. To be reminded that in Christ, in Christ, we have a new life. We are new creations. That we do not have to participate, that we do not have to think with the patterns of this world, but rather that we can walk in newness of life. As Elder Benji mentioned as well, that this weekend is... Or October 31st is also Reformation Day, a day where we get to celebrate this great change in church history. And one of the great passages that, 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 is, that comes from the heart of the Reformation is in Ephesians chapter 2. But I love the reminder that Paul gives in that passage because he's saying in this passage that we are no longer from the world. Though we were like the world, living in darkness and in sin and pursuing the desires of our flesh, that we no longer have to do that as believers. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Taking that passage, putting it into the context of Halloween, where Halloween celebrates exactly what we just read, the disobedience of mankind, the, 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 the spirits at work in mankind, the darkness that we were once in, why would we want to celebrate that? Why would we want to 
revel in those things that God has saved us from. The passage continues. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God has taken us from places of darkness and brought us into His marvelous light. Our privilege, our joy as believers is to revel and celebrate and enjoy His light, not go back and celebrate the darkness. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we first and foremost confess wherever it is, God, we have had our conscience seared where we have grown numb to sin. And I pray in this, in this sacred moment, in this time, that you would reveal to our hearts, to our minds, where exactly those areas are. If we have lost conviction over something that we should have conviction over, if we have lost conviction over what is so clear in your word, I pray that you would reveal it to us in this moment. That you would reveal to us the hidden sin in our hearts. And in the sacred moment, God, that every heart in this room would confess. Confess, Lord God, to you the areas of their life, Lord God, where sin has taken a stronghold. where our minds have been seared, where our conscience has been skewed as a result of the lies of this world, as a result of the passions of our flesh. And I pray, Father God, that you'd bring forgiveness, that you'd bring healing to our minds and our hearts, that you'd bring a wave of fresh conviction to us, Lord. That, God, you'd raise up a people who hates sin, who puts sin to death, who does not live for the darkness of our past, but lives for the glory that you have brought us into, the light that you have brought us into. Oh, God, I pray for... I pray for church's convictions, our conscience, O oh Lord, that we would stay aligned to your truth, to the word of God, to your spirit, that we would not turn to the right hand or to the left, that we would not desire after the things of this world, O oh Lord, knowing, O oh Lord, that you are so much better, the things of your kingdom is so much more, so much more desirable. So so much more satisfying, so much more joy-filling. I pray, O Father, that you would turn our hearts towards you, that we might delight 
a day of life change, oh God. I pray for the heart that does not know you yet. That today would be the day of salvation. That they would put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the grave. That they would come to terms, Lord, that they cannot do anything on their own to save themselves. And it is only by faith in you, Jesus Christ, that they are saved. That they can escape the wrath of God, that they can escape hell. So I pray that you'd move amongst the hearts of your people this morning. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.